therefore. So on the basis of what he said in verse 21, that's why he said therefore. And I know you get tired of hearing it, uh, or you might, I don't know. You might get tired of hearing when you see therefore, what is it therefore? But don't get tired of studying the Bible that way because it's a good principle. What is therefore? Therefore, it's there because of what he said in verse 21. He said, based on our resurrection and that our vile bodies are going to be changed. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to have a glorified body and you're not going to have to worry about it getting sick? Can you just imagine that? I thought about that as I was getting ready for this. Because I think, here I am, 42. What if I get the virus and die in my 40s like some of the people I've heard about? Or what if I've got cancer in me and I don't know it? You know, all those thoughts come through your mind. Or you wake up, something starts hurting, and that's just it. It hurts for the rest of your life. It never stops hurting. That's a new pain that you live with, you know. But what's that? It gets better, yeah. Cheer up, it's going to get worse, right? So, uh, yeah, exactly. But can you imagine what it's going to be like? One day you're going to have a body and you're going, to th- you're going to think to yourself, I don't have to worry like I used to. This thing is never going to wear out. This thing is never going to get sick. That's something to praise the Lord for. So he says, therefore, on the basis of that, now if you wonder if that's the right conclusion, he's going to say, therefore, stand fast, basically is what he's saying. Therefore, stand fast. Because of the resurrection, because of the glorified body. If you wonder if that's the right conclusion, that's not the only time Paul did that. If you want to look with me, 1 Corinthians 15, just briefly. 1 Corinthians 15, if you turn back to the left, it's, it's real close. Huh? Therefore is a timeline. Yep. And, he's, uh, and it's the last therefore in Philippians. This is the last one. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul does it there. If you notice all the way at the end of the chapter, verse 58, he gets through that long chapter dealing with the resurrection, all that teaching on the necessity and the importance of and the reasonableness of the resurrection. And then he says at the last verse, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And you look at that word there, therefore, what is it therefore? He's saying based on the the truth of the resurrection, and not just that, but he talks about the rapture of the church. In verse 52, you know that mystery? That in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, when you get your glorified body. So Paul is saying, therefore, knowing what your future is, then be busy right now. Be abounding in the work. Don't just be going from one week to another just having church. Abound in the work. Don't just be happy having a nice-looking you know, auditorium to meet in, and we, we sure do. But no, get a bus ministry going. Get some other people. Go do some evangelism. Go carry a cross through town to witness of our crucified Savior and his dying love. Go abound in the work of the Lord. And so it's the same thing. And and back in Philippians 4, he's saying, Therefore, stand fast. My brethren, dearly beloved and longed for my joy and crown. Listen to the way he talks to the folks there at the church, calling them brethren calling them dearly beloved. 
He's saying, I long for you. And what he's saying is, I long to come visit you and see you again. My joy and crown, he's saying, you bring me joy. And he says, so stand fast in the Lord. And then he says it again at the end, my dearly beloved. But you know, he says, you're my joy and you're my crown. You know what he's referring to? He's referring to the soul winner's crown of 1 Thessalonians 2. We don't have to go there. But Paul says there's a crown for people who win souls and they can win that reward. I'll read it, 1 Thessalonians 2.19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? What is it? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? So at the coming of the Lord for the church, we're raptured up to be with the Lord and caught up to be with him in the air. Then he takes us to a place for the judgment seat of Christ. And at the judgment seat of Christ, our works are tried, not our sins. They were tried at Calvary. Our works are tried of what sort they were, what kind of works they were. And for those who have souls that they, that they had a part in bringing to Christ were just signs pointing people to Jesus. That's all. And those who had a part in it, they're going to get this crown. Uh, being soul winners. He says, you're my joy and my crown. Nothing, listen to it, folks, nothing is more important right now than soul winning. Uh, we can't lose that emphasis. What is it that we're supposed to be doing? We're supposed to glorify God in the salvation of souls. That's what he wants. Jesus said, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And he said, I'm not, he said, I come to seek and to save the lost. So that's what we're supposed to do. Seek and to save the lost. If we're not doing that, we're wrong. If we're not moving ahead, and God needs every church, every uh, good gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church that's left out there to be doing the work of going after souls. He that winneth souls is wise, the Bible says. And you can just think back when Paul says, you're my joy, you're my crown, Think back to uh, Acts 16, you know, Paul is in his mind, he's thinking of when this church was founded and the way that the Lord blessed, and the first convert that we know about was Lydia, the seller of purple. She was a spiritual woman meeting with a group of ladies down by the riverside for prayer, and that was their, that was their custom to meet there for prayer, and she first trusted in Christ, and then there was a work that was started in her house. And you can just imagine many people in her house being saved. She was a businesswoman, seller of purple. She would have had servants, men and women servants. Uh, she would have had probably a larger complex and had multiple families, family members living within her walled-in you know, homestead, living there with her. So he's thinking about Lydia and thinking about all that she means to him. He's thinking about the jailer that uh, came out and was suicidal and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And going back to his house and seeing family members hear the gospel and uh, receive Jesus Christ as Savior and get baptized and see them added to the church there in Philippi. And Paul is thinking, You're my joy. You're my crown. This makes it all worth it to see this happen. And I told a little bit of a story about uh, Bible Baptist Church and how it was started in a farmhouse. And in one of those meetings there, and they were pretty well attended uh, for, you know, Thursday and Friday and Saturday nights. 
In one of those meetings there, he said, would you raise your hand if you were with us from the very beginning, all the way back to the farmhouse? And um, he knew who they were, just a few of them, but a lot of them had already gone on to be with the Lord. You know, the church is 30 years old. And then he said, raise your hand if you were with me since the, since the uh, truck stops, since Shenandoah, and to see their hands up there. And then when we went to eat the, the meal uh, downstairs in the fellowship hall, uh, one of the deacons, Bill, he's a character. I really like Bill. Uh, he, was a ch- he was a biker, and he was a bad dude when he was younger. He was the kind of guy who beat up everybody and was just rough. And uh, he got saved, and it's so funny. He's, like, completely different. And he wrote a poem the other day, and he thought he, he, he was giving me this poem, and he was just cracking up laughing, and somebody he knows said, you wrote a poem? You? You know, biker Bill? And uh, so he's just completely changed and loves the Lord. Um, but he, he presented to the pastor and his wife this quilt, and the quilt had the pictures of the churches, the different, uh, not the churches, but the meeting houses that they met in, and the original members on there, and then had all the names of the people that were part of the church, uh, had their names written in there, and they, they signed their names on a piece of cloth, and it was, you know, sewn into the quilt. And you know what that was to, to Steve and to Sonia? That was their joy. That was their crown. They've been doing it for 30 years. And uh, Steve Leithley, he went from working, I mean, after being a missionary, when he came to Cambridge, he worked in all kinds of different places. He just went to that man can where they help you get employment. And he worked in all kinds of places before he finally settled in famous hardware. But for 13 years, he was working full time while he started that church. And, and to think about all the souls that were saved and all that kind of stuff, that everything that happened, people that were married, people that he buried, and and people that uh, knew where their, you know, their hope was, their hope was in Jesus Christ. All of that, we can't lose sight of that. And we got to stand fast. You know what those people that, that were there after 30 years, you know what they're a picture of? Some people who stood fast and stuck with it and didn't quit. So uh, he says, stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eodius and Sentichi, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. The trouble in the church, they weren't getting along, right? They were having a disagreement. And the trouble in the church was coming from a couple of women in the church. Now, there's a battle for your mind, ladies. How often do you get preached at? How often do you hear very many sermons just for the ladies in the church? I'm not going to preach one right now. But there's a battle for your mind. Who did the devil attack first? He attacked Eve. There's a reason for that. The devil's been walking around this thing for 6,000 years watching us. And when he wanted to stir up trouble in the church in Philippi, what did he do? He got two women at odds with each other. And what did Paul do? Did Paul say something sarcastic? Like, is it any surprise to any of us here? that there was trouble in the church between two ladies? That's something I would say. No, he didn't say that. He said, I beseech, now look, I beseech Eodius and beseech Sintichi. He used beseech twice, meaning I plead with you, I implore with you. Twice, one for each of them. So that means there's two sides to every street. You know, there's two lanes coming and going. That means... That uh, if there's a problem, it's, it's, the, it's the responsibility of both parties. 
either the one that offended or the one that's, that is being offended, uh, the innocent party and the guilty party, or maybe both are kind of guilty a little bit. But Paul said the responsibility is for both of you now. Both of you need to get this thing right. Now, it might have been that Eodius was offended by Sintichi. And maybe she was the innocent party. You know what her responsibility is if she's been offended? You say, well, just to let it go and cover it up and pretend like it didn't bother you. No, that's dishonest because it does bother you. Um, there is an issue. You can't just sweep it under the rug. That's not how we do things in the church. No, you've got to take care of it. It's, it's got to be handled. And so the one that is offended, if the other one doesn't say, I'm sorry, you've got to approach them about it. You've got to confront them compassionately, confront them. And love, you've got to do it. Don't do it on Facebook. My goodness, don't do it on Facebook. And Paul is saying, I plead with you. I plead with you. Why? Because he cares about them. Uh, we're going to learn about these ladies. These ladies were instrumental in that church and doing a lot of work for the sake of the gospel. And so he's saying, I plead with both of you. And to say that it's just no problem, I'll just let it go. No, now you're being dishonest because there is a problem and it has to be handled. And how do we do it? Well, Paul tells us those women which labored with me in the gospel. So now we learn that these two women labored with Paul in the gospel and Paul says they need help. That's all. They don't need to be criticized. They don't need to be put down because they're the ones that the devil attacks. They don't need any of that. They just need help and the third party to come in and to, to, to be uh, between them, to listen to both sides of the story. And that person has to be spiritual enough to be able to use the scripture and also be gentle enough to be able to handle the situation and, uh, and then get it resolved. And then whatever happens, if you're going to bring in a third party, right? If you're going to bring in a third party and you say, can you help us? You have to take their, whatever it is, their advice, whatever they say to do. You've got to go with it. Because if you don't, then you're still at, uh, you know, at a, at a, you know the word I'm trying to think of. You're still not getting along, right? So you've got you to gotta go with whatever that arbitrator says. And if he's, if he's going by the book, then it's, still, it's good stuff. It's good medicine. Now, who is this yoke fellow? Most likely, most likely it's um, from chapter 3. Uh, let's see here. Now I had it. It's not Timothy. It's, uh, can anybody find it? Paul's saying, I got some men that were good examples of humility. One of them was Timothy. No, no, it's in chapter 2. It's Epaphroditus. Verse 25. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now, most likely it's him. He's the yoke fellow. Meaning he's serving along with Paul as his fellow companion in labor because he's his fellow soldier, companion in labor. Verse 25. And he was the faithful messenger. He's, he's coming with the letter to the Philippians. And Paul is saying, let Epaphroditus be the third party to help you through this trouble and get it settled. Get it settled in the Lord. Get it settled for the sake of the church and for the sake of the gospel and just get it settled. And, and Paul is reminding these women, you labored with me in the gospel. Now, they weren't preaching the gospel. They weren't uh, gospel preachers, but maybe, uh, you know, maybe they were doing some other things. There, there's all kinds of things that can be done in the church. 
Maybe they were helping with the meetings. They, I hear that early uh, Christian meetings were in homes. I know that from the Bible, but I hear that usually it followed a, a meal after their gathering. They'd have a meal. Somebody's caring for the kids. Somebody's bringing food. Somebody's cleaning up. Somebody's helping. You know, maybe maybe they were helping teach the younger women. Maybe they were evangelizing. Uh, along uh, with Paul and inviting people um, like uh, Amanda has been doing an awesome job. I, I hate to embarrass you and point you out, but she's been bringing people in. Um, there's all kinds of ways. Um, maybe she was, maybe uh, Sentichi was running the soundboard. Maybe that's what she was doing. Although I doubt they had a PA system, but you know, he says your fellow laborers and uh, you just need to settle this thing. And then he says with Clement also, and with other, my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, here's a doctrine, the book of life. Let's study that for just a second. But just remember, with every doctrine comes a duty. This is interesting to study, and we don't know the whole story here. We won't know all the details. But what is this book of life? It's something to rejoice about, is what the Lord says. If you look at Luke 10.20, and if you don't want to turn, you can just listen. Luke 10.20, and uh, the Lord says it's something to rejoice about, this book of life. Paul said that your names are written in the book of life. He's keeping things on the sunny side, even though there's a little bit of trouble in the church. Luke 10.20, and here... The disciples came back and they were rejoicing about how much power they had over the spirits, how they were subject unto them and they were able to heal and cast out devils and all that stuff. And Jesus said, don't rejoice about that, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. It's something to rejoice about. Amen. Amen. I think about that. I've got reservations, you know, I've got reservations. My name's written down in heaven, and I've got uh, an inheritance that's got my name on it, you know, so to speak. And my name's written down in a book, and I believe, yes, I believe it's a literal book, and my name's written down. And also, it's a book of redeemed saints. If you look at uh, Revelation 20, it's a book of all the saved. Revelation 20 and verse 11. It's something to rejoice about. No matter what happens, uh, and it's a book of the saved, and that's, that, that right there is cause to, to rejoice. Revelation 20 and verse 11. Let me read through this whole passage, and I want you to think for a moment tonight, if you're not saved, I want you to think that you're going to come up at this judgment. And if you're coming out of the church age and you're coming up at this judgment, you're not going to make it. If you're coming out of the church age and you come up at this judgment and you're in the church age right now and you come up at this judgment, you're lost. Your name's not in the book of life. You, you're, you're dead. You're twice dead. Somebody said if you're born once, you'll die twice. If you're born twice, you'll die once. So you've got to be born again by faith in Jesus. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Imagine standing before, well, not standing, but falling on your face before the great white throne judgment, and uh, there's nothing 
around you. The heaven, the earth fled away. It's nothing but just outer space and God. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. Those books contained the deeds of all people. Think about that for a second. You think, I don't want Google having all my information. I don't want the government listening in on me and knowing everything about me. God knows everything about you, everything you've ever done. And God doesn't like lies. We think that's a little thing. If that's a little thing to us, God says, no, he he hates lying. Uh, He's got it all written down every time you ever told a lie. According to their works, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. Now, you don't want to be judged according to your works because you're not going to make it. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not written, not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I tell you, it's cause to rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. (laughs) The the Old Testament saints, their names are going to be in there. Church age saints, their names are going to be in there. Tribulation saints, their names are going to be in the book of life. Millennial saints of the millennium, their names are going to be in the Lamb's book of life. It's a book of the redeemed, a book of the saved. But the dead of all the ages, except the body of Christ are judged at this judgment. It means Jews, Muslims, Christians that are so-called Christian, but in name only, just religious people. Uh, they're all going to be there. And, uh, you know, there's going to be Old Testament saints there that are judged for their works and make it past the judgment. There's going to be millennial saints that are judged there and judged for their works and make it past the great white throne judgment. But I'm telling you, if you're coming out of the church age and you don't get saved now, you're going to be there and you're not going to make it. The people in the Old Testament had the atonement. They had the sacrifice, the sacrificial system. They had the, from all the way back to Adam and Eve, they, they, they were taught uh, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. There's no forgiveness of sins. You know what your sacrifice is right now? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a goat or a lamb or anything else. And so uh, you better get saved now because you need your name to get in that lamb's book of life. And that's the last thing I wanted to say about it is that it's the lamb's uh, book. I I, I think I didn't write down my reference, but I think it's in Revelation 21 that it says it's the lamb's book. Yeah, Revelation 21 verse 27. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth. That's talking about New Jerusalem. Nothing dirty is allowed to go into that city. Neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. No liar is allowed in there. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Isn't that wonderful? And I'm so thankful that all my lies are covered uh, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, So the Lamb's book of life. That's what that book of life is. So the Lamb's blood is covering everybody that's in that book. And Jesus said it was in heaven. Now you're, you're looking at a bunch of Christians today. We'll go back to Philippians 
uh, for. You're looking at a bunch of Christians today out there, and you listen to them on the radio or watch them on the TV, and they don't necessarily believe that it's a book up in heaven. They believe it just symbolizes something. I'm telling you, we are in a different age right now. We're at the end of the church age. It's, it's apostasy, just uh, pretty much from one end of the spectrum to the other, and folks don't even believe the Bible anymore. Jesus said, rejoice because your names are written down. It's in heaven. I believe Jesus. Okay, I'm going to take him. So, uh, but there's a duty to this. There's a duty to it. Every doctrine has his duty. So back, back in Philippians 4 and verse 3, he says, uh, with other fellow laborers who are, whose names are written in the book of life, we're supposed to be laboring. Paul wrote, help those women and help them get things straightened out but so that they can get back to working and get back to laboring for the Lord in unity. And did you know that there's a gift of helps that the Holy Spirit gives to some people? Some people have that gift of helps. Not everybody, but some people really have it. So when you think that you're dealing with somebody who's really got that gift of helps, that that means it's just general. Acts of mercy, caregiving, kindness, encouragement, financial help, physical assistance, praying, uh, they're real good at helping in evangelism, whatever it might be, just they could accomplish any kind of uh, variety of helpful things that's necessary for the work of the local church and the ministry of the local church. Uh, a deacon is a good example of somebody who is a helper in a church. If you find somebody in a church that's got that helps gift, well, our place is to get behind them and to help them and be like, okay, you, you kind of, uh, you're self-motivated to do this. What do you want me to do? You know, it might, I, I bet working with the shoe boxes, the ladies who put that together and it went so well. And again, not giving any glory to man, but uh, somebody has a gift of helps in there. And the rest of us just helping, you know, maybe one, two or three of them did. I don't know. But you see, that's a that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. So we're supposed to be busy right now. And it has a very, very broad application. He doesn't even say what you're supposed to help them in, and I think that's just saying because there's just so many things that it could be. Now, Paul had been dealing with having peace with others, right? Wouldn't you say that's pretty fair? Paul was talking about peace with others. He's saying, I sent this uh, yoke fellow to help you to get this worked out and continue to labor and stand fast, continue with the church. Now he's going to deal with peace with yourself. Peace with yourself there in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. There's that word that's in this little letter so many times. Rejoice. You know, you've got to find your joy in the Lord. In the Lord. Because, I'll, I'll put it this way, I let myself down. Other people let me down. And then I put my foot in my mouth the other day and I actually said it in front of people, talking about some people that let me down. I try to just keep that quiet, keep it to myself, unless I'm going to confront them about it. Um, But if we're not working together in a common goal, doing something, for the most part, I just let stuff go um, and just kind of just take it. But people will let you down, won't they? Um, So you can't find your joy in in people, not all the time. I mean, uh, Sure, Paul found joy in these ladies and and the church and everything like that. But Paul said, look, rejoice in the Lord. Even if you can't always get along or see eye to eye. Rejoice in the Lord. And um, 
This was a man in prison telling this church to rejoice. So there's no situation that we're going to find ourselves in that we got an excuse. You know, the Lord's not going to say, I'm going to give you a pass. You don't have to rejoice in me. No. It don't matter what you're going through and what's happening in your life, you need that joy. You need to rejoice. Get back to rejoicing in the Lord. Say, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation, like David said. And, uh, you know, these people were free to do whatever they want and continue to serve the Lord. So this tells us that uh, your joy shouldn't fluctuate depending on your circumstances or my circumstances. Uh, It doesn't matter what the situation is or even what our health is, what our health may be. Uh, We can always rejoice in the Lord. And uh, we also find joy in the Lord's people being together. And that's why it's so important to get together. We find joy in souls getting saved. But you know what? Our moods change with the weather, basically. I mean, when it gets like this, this time of year, and everything's kind of bleak and cold and gray and dead uh it it affects my mood i'm i tend to kind of be melancholy anyways and so uh this time of year i really gotta do you know something extra to make sure i got the joy of the lord um but that's the way our mood is but this isn't your mood this isn't your happiness i mean one day you might be bright and sunshiny and uh, a warm breeze blowing in your heart and in your life. And the next day, it's storm clouds, man, and, uh, and a, a great thunderstorm on the horizon, you know, and then tornadoes and violent winds. Uh, I heard one man say, Beth was reminding me of this, his wife was going through menopause. And he said, when your wife starts to go through menopause, buy yourself a hat. And then uh, when you get home, open up the door and throw your hat inside. And if it comes back out, you just go find something else to do. (laughs) I didn't say that. He said that. And uh, our moods change. Our moods change. Anybody here know a grumpy man who comes home from work and he's all been out of shape and grumpy and comes inside? And and what, what happened? Something happened at work. Just some little thing. Yeah, just work, just dealing with people. You come home, your mood. You're all bent out of shape. Well, our moods change with the weather, but your joy should never, never change. You should always have the joy of the Lord. And you can. You can, and I can. And he says, and again I say, rejoice. You know what that's for? Look, the first rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. That's somebody who's starting. Paul knows as soon as he odious, or uh, as soon as... Uh, uh, Epaphroditus reads that because he's probably going to read that or one of the deacons will read it or something in the church. As soon as I say rejoice in the Lord, there's going to be somebody arguing with me in their mind. Like maybe right now you're arguing with me in your mind. And so Paul says, I'm going to write it again. Maybe the Holy Spirit says, write it again, Paul. And again, I say rejoice because he said that little word, that little pesky word, always. That means at all times, in all conditions, rejoice let your moderation be known to all men, not just the men in the church, not just the people in the church, but to A-L-L, all men. Now, we need a definition for moderation, don't we? Moderation means being gentle, being kind, putting up with people. 
Now, a more accurate definition is to give place to somebody else. Give place. If you're getting in line at a banquet and uh, you're all lined up there, you know, and you can see some of that good stuff is starting to go and somebody else is uh, coming up to get in line and you give place to them. You say, let them, let, go ahead. You can go in here. You, you got kids or, or go ahead and, uh, you're, you know, ladies first. You're giving place, letting them go in line before you. You're being kind. You're being easy to deal with. You're, you're being gentle with people. Let your moderation be known to all men. That means that we have a responsibility as Christians to be gentle and loving like Christ to all men, to the people that we work with. I'm going to tell on Adam and embarrass him, but he's a, he's a good brother, and, um, and he, he got the call on Thanksgiving break to come into work. And you know how that is, right? Nobody answers that call. But Adam is a man that uh, is letting his moderation be known and he picked up the call. He's going to get mad at me for saying something about this later. So he's going to be like, you can't tell him anything. It'll come out in a sermon. <laughs> and he picked up the call. But I'm going, to, I'm going to praise him. And there's nothing wrong with praising people in the church, by the way. We, get, we think, now you ought to come in here and beat us up every time. And he picked up the phone and answered the call. And they needed help. He was letting his moderation be known. He was giving place to them. You know, our happiness, it comes and goes Here's a practical tip. It comes and goes, but joy is so deep and so abiding when you have it that the world can't touch it. Situations can't touch it. Your health troubles can't touch this joy. But people can't always see our joy. I don't always look like I just want to be jumping around at the door, you know, just, you know, so happy like uh, Lily. I don't always look like that. But on the inside, I got joy. So how do you show your joy to the world and to the church? You let your moderation be known. The outward acts of moderation can easily be seen when you're charitable with other people, when you're kind to other people, when you're considerate to all men. We shouldn't be fussing and fighting with worldlings or with believers We shouldn't be arguing about our rights that has no place in the life of a Christian. We're just, we're gentle people, supposed to be, loving. But then, you know, sometimes when it came to men's souls being on the line and and those religious hypocrites that Jesus was dealing with, and he knew that they were damning men's souls, he'd rebuke them sharply. And he was rough, man. And he'd get angry. So it's not saying you can't be angry as a Christian. There is a righteous anger. But as a general rule, we're supposed to be gentle and kind. And you know, he says, let your moderation be known unto all men. And here's the reason why. The Lord's at hand. The Lord's coming back. You've got to look at people like their souls. They're going to spend eternity somewhere, and it's just not worth it to just give them a piece of your mind or really put them in their place. It's just usually not worth it. What's more important is that their souls are going to live forever somewhere. And you're supposed to be a witness. And wherever the Lord sends you, that's your mission field. I'll get away from preaching now and get back to our Bible study here. But let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. He's going to come back. 
And that motivates us to be joyful. Joy comes in the morning. That motivates us to be moderate. And uh, that motivates us also to not let ourselves be full of care and full of worry. This is going to sting a little bit. That's just like what the doctor says. He says, now you're going to feel a little bit of pressure. And you know when he says that, get ready for a whole world of hurt. A little bit of pressure somehow turns into, I'm about ready to jack you up. You know, you're going to feel a little bit of pressure. He says, be careful for nothing. It's a command. Don't be full of care. This is in regards to worry and fretting. Don't be full of care. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So here we have this command. What are we going to do about it? Don't be full of care. What if I find myself being full of care? Well, you're supposed to empty it out. Empty it out and give it to the Lord. You know, worry, fretting, it's a joy killer. It'll kill your joy. We're not supposed to be full of it. The Lord says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That's what he says in the word of God. Cast all your care upon him. In other words, if we don't obey this command, that makes worrying and fretting sinful. So don't be guilty of sinful worry or fretting. That doesn't mean that we're not supposed to be, you know, concerned about taking care of the needs of our own lives and taking care of our families or taking care of our church or others. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be concerned about your children and wondering what they're doing if they haven't called and checked in on you. That's not what he's talking about. But he's saying that kind of worry that's fretting or anxiety, that's sinful. You're not to let that control your spirit because it kills your joy. And it shows a lack of trust in God. You remember our story this morning? Jacob was worried about Esau coming. And it says that he was uh, distressed and greatly afraid. That wasn't good. That was showing a lack of trust in God. He'd been praying about this, and God told him to go back. And so God has already taken care of the situation. Listen, if God calls you to something, to go somewhere, to do something, he's going to take care of you. Through natural peace will come from God as you bathe everything and as I bathe everything in prayer. Praying about everything. Pull the cat, that's good. That's good to get into the habit of just praying about everything. You're praying about everything. Big things, small things. If you're bathing it all in prayer, that's why it's so important. The devil does not want you to pray. If we go see a Christian movie, take the kids to go to the ark, the devil don't care about that. He ain't worried about that. We have a big evangelist come in, big shot, you know, and uh, stand up here and blow a lot of hot air and, and uh, puff himself up, you know, and impress all of us. Um, the devil don't care about that. But when you start to pray... That's when he gets concerned. That's when he starts to worry. He don't want you to pray. That's why he does everything that he can to discourage us. That's his greatest tool to use against us, to discourage us and to take away our joy and to get us to stop trusting God. And whatever you do, whatever you do, don't read this book. 
because then God will start speaking to you and then you want to talk back to him. So he don't want you praying, but that's the cure. It's the secret. It's the antidote for worry. You say, how can I possibly? It's not possible to go around being filled with worry. You just haven't lived long enough, young man. You might be arguing with me inside of your mind. Paul said it is. And I say, on the authority of the word of God, if you're full of care, it's sinful. You're not supposed to do it. So take all the energy that we waste on worry and use it on prayer. I mean, you've got to get serious about it. You've got to get serious about it. Amen. And, and much prayer. Much prayer. You know, um, a good example of, of that, I was listening uh, to a, a song on YouTube, and they had the voice of Johnny Erickson Tata over top of this thing. If you've heard of her quadriplegic and in a great deal of pain, and she still ministers and still sings and still paints and things like that. But she was talking about how some nights here recently, this is a recent testimony, how some nights she's in so much pain throughout the night that she can't get to sleep. She's just laying there. She can't move anything but her head. She can't move her body, and her body hurts. And, and she wants to wake up her husband, but her husband's been caring for her all day. And I'm just uh, paraphrasing her words. And so she'd like to wake him up so that he can just move her hips around or move the pillows or move her arms or her legs for her. But she feels so bad because he's been caring for her all day long. And so she says when she feels like that, she'll start singing a song or she'll think of scripture that she's memorized. And she's memorized a lot of it. And to listen to that woman talk, and you know when it's real, she has joy in the midst of an incredible tribulation and troubles in her life. And, and I think God lets her go through that to show us that it's possible. So don't let that be wasted on you. Say, it is possible for me to live with joy and not just to just get by, but to abound in the work of the Lord. Like 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, to abound in the work of the Lord. And a great way to abound is to let your moderation be known, to just give place to other people in your life. And, you know, I think a, a great way of saying that is just to pour your life out for somebody else. Let your life be spent on somebody else. Spend and be spent. A good example of that, I heard about the four chaplains of World War II. Maybe you heard of them. These four chaplains... They died rescuing civilians and military personnel as the SS Dorchester sank on February the 3rd, 1943. And I listened to one person's explanation of this, and they had life jackets on. They took their life jackets off and gave them to some of those soldiers and some of those civilians uh, because they were chaplains and they knew the Lord and they knew where they were going to go. Uh, at least that's what they thought. And, and so they gave their life vests away. That's giving place. That's kindness. That's love. And, and they, not only that, but they helped people get into lifeboats. And they did everything that they could until they could do no more. And then they stood there together singing and praying and comforting, comforting the souls of those that were going to perish on that ship. That's moderation. And, you, you know, you're looking around. You and I are looking around at a bunch of people, and we might try to do everything we can to say, take the life preserver, put on the life vest, put Jesus Christ on, and you'll be saved 
from the waters of judgment. And they just won't do it. But you can still just be there and just try to love them to Jesus. And you can't make them get saved. And you're not in control of how many life jackets there are, how many lifeboats there are. But I'm going to tell you tonight, that, 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 that illustration fails of what's really true of the gospel. Because in the gospel, there's lifesavers and life jackets for everybody. And Jesus is just handing them out. He's standing ready tonight to hand them out. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer as we close tonight. And if you need to be saved, I would just encourage you to please get that settled. Get that settled with God. I, I thank you tonight, Lord. I thank you for the word of God. And um, Lord, I thank you that it's, it's real. I've tried you and proved you on this promise. But Lord, you know that... Um, some days I just I don't have the joy of the Lord like I ought to have, and I need to grow in that area. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help me to walk consistently rejoicing in the Lord. Lord, we, we, need, we need more people like that, and this church needs it. So I pray that you'd bless us with the joy of the Lord, that we might be able to spread that to everybody else in the church. And, Lord, help us to cast all our cares on you. And what a great truth it is. If we knew nothing else, then you care for us. Uh, And if we really got that truth, that's a wonderful truth right there. And, Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus to die to pay for our sins. We thank you that you offer us full salvation as a free gift. You offer us eternal life if we'll just turn turn from going our own way, and just come to you by faith and let you be our Savior. I pray, Lord, for these that are here that may not be saved yet, I pray that you'd open up their hearts so that they can receive the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.